welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Banman. Every Sunday, I keep thinking, okay, this subject is really the core of Christianity. This, one, this is what Christianity is all about, and I feel exactly the same way this Sunday, and I don't think I'm stretching it to say, no, this is this subject, the subject of repentance, is truly at the core of our walk with the Lord. The, the title of this morning's message is fellowship with, fellowship with God, Fellowship in the Light. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at and we're going to learn how to improve our fellowship in the light. So a uh, passage we're really going to focus in on is in 1 John chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about what I do when I'm not here preaching or ministering. So my, my day job is that of, and many of you know, is, is a 3D sculptor designer. So I, I do three-dimensional sculpting and designing using computer systems to model uh, awards products. And it, when I went to school, I was talking to Josh earlier about uh, college, the college years. And uh, when I went to school, you know, I studied sculpture and drawing and painting and design and all that whole thing. And one of the things I love about sculpture and one of the really key elements of designing three-dimensionally is you have to keep moving, right? So when you're, when I remember in my life sculpting classes, when we'd have a, have a figure in front of us that we're sculpting, they would literally, the person would stand on a platform that turned, like a turntable, and we would sculpt for a while, and then they'd turn the table about, you know, 15 degrees, and we'd sculpt some more, and then they'd turn the table 15 degrees, and as they're turning the, the model, we're also turning our, our work, right? And the key thing about sculpting is to notice the profile, to sculpt from the profile. Because as you come into the middle, and if you, particularly if you don't move, if you stay focused on, the, on one central part of the sculpture, you begin to lose that profile. And especially as, you know, when I first started in my career, we were sculpting and modeling in clay and wax, right? But when you move to digital, when you move to a computer screen, you, you lose the stereo scopic part of your vision, you lose your depth perception. So particularly, even more so when you're sculpting digitally, you gotta keep moving, you gotta keep rotating, because otherwise, you get focused on the nose or the chin and you're detailing it all out, and you think you've got a great chin, and then you turn the head sideways and the chin is like out to here, right? So it's, it's important, you gotta keep moving, you gotta keep changing your point of reference and your perspective as you're doing this kind of sculptural work. So John, who we're going to be reading this morning in 1 John, he writes a lot like a sculptor sculpts. He writes very poetically, and he has a way of continually rotating around his subject. He'll start here, and then he'll look at it from another perspective over here, and then he'll move over here, and then he'll move over and he'll look at it this way, and then he'll come back to the very same idea that he might have mentioned four or five verses earlier, but now he looks at it in a different way with a little more detail or a little bit more information or, or just a slightly different angle. So he's constantly moving around his subject matter as he's, as he's writing. 
And you see this in his gospel, you see this in his letters, and you really see it in the book of Revelation, which he wrote through, through the revelation of Christ to him. And as you read through Revelation, you'll notice that big time. It, it continually is rotating around these, you know, the seven seals and then the seven trumpets and then the seven bulls. He keeps rotating around the same subject matter. So you need see that pattern this morning in this verse that we're looking at. And simultaneously, you're going to see that this process that we call repentance, that we call confession, is a process that continually is rotating around fellowship with the Lord and remaining in fellowship with the Lord as we move through this process. So notice that as we go through this. So let's go, let's go to the passage. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, says, That which was from the beginning. So John never just says it. John never just says Jesus. Instead, he says that which was from the beginning. And it's really awesome that he does it that way because if he said, well, Jesus, we'd say, we'd hear, yeah, Jesus, and we just move on. But he says that which was from the beginning, it just tells us a lot more about who Jesus is. And if we don't know Jesus, it, it stirs up questions in our hearts and our minds that say, um, who is this that was from the beginning? It draws us in. It helps us to understand deep, more deeply what John is talking about. That which was from the beginning, meaning Jesus, which we have heard. Now notice this progression. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. So John, notice this progression. John is like, that which is from the very beginning, we, I personally have heard him, I've heard his voice, I've seen him, I've looked intently at his life and who he is and how he walks, and I've touched him, right? Closer and closer and closer, deeper and deeper into fellowship with the Lord. The life was made manifest. What's the life? The life is Jesus. Jesus was made manifest. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Jesus is literally eternal life. He is the eternal life, right? This is, this is awesome sculpting of who Christ is. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. So what John is saying here is he's saying, look, I've heard, I've seen him, I've walked with him, I've been with him, I'm intimate with Christ, the one who is with the Father from the very beginning, the one who is the embodiment of eternal life. I've been there, done that, I have deep fellowship with him. Even now after his ascension, my fellowship is ongoing with him, and I want to invite you into the same fellowship. Why? So your joy will be complete. Right? So by extension, none of us have seen Jesus in the flesh. Right? Anybody have any, any uh, incarnation of Christ that you've come across? I don't think so. And yet the apostles, specifically John in this passage, have invite us, invited us into the same fellowship with Christ through the Holy Spirit, through his resurrection, we can engage in fellowship with Christ, right? So here's the goal of the message this morning. The goal 
is fellowship. The goal is fellowship with Christ. And notice how integrated fellowship is with one another. John says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. John the apostle, the church, the group of believers, fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship together as a body is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. If you think you can have fellowship apart from the church, you're wrong. Just straight up. Okay? The, the way we have fellowship with Christ is through the body, through His living body right here, you all in front of me. I am actually seeing with my eyes the body of Christ represented by you. Right? So John is inviting us into fellowship with God through Christ, and that is the primary goal. That is the, the point of this morning's message is fellowship, right? The goal is not ultimately repentance or confession or et cetera, et cetera, all the things we're going to talk about. All those things are for the purpose of fellowship with one another in Christ, okay? So that's our goal this morning. So far, so good. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, that's a good thing. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. What does it mean, God is light? I, I compiled a, a brief list. This is probably barely surface of all of what that means, but, but just to give you some thoughts about God is light. God is love. God is truth, wisdom, purity, beauty, joy, power, life, and glory. God is light. God is all those things and much more. In whom there is no darkness. There's not one speck. There is no ignorance, deceit, ugliness, sin, or death. Right? There's none of that in God. Now here's the problem. Problem is, what's our goal? Our goal is fellowship with God, to walk with God, to be intimate with our Lord together as a body. But we have a problem, right? Because are we always constantly and perfectly walking in the light? Let's, let's read and see what John says about that. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We can say we have fellowship with him. We can give it all lip service and say, hey man, I go to church every Sunday. You know, I tithe. I do all these things I'm supposed to do. Therefore, I'm walking with the Lord. But you know what? We can be 100% in the darkness. Right? But what about us who've been redeemed? What about, what about when I confess my sins to the Lord while I was watching Billy Graham on TV back when I was in junior high? Aren't I redeemed? Aren't I pure? You know, hasn't all that sin been removed? Can I just walk in freedom now in Christ? Next verse. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Okay, so great. That's the goal. The goal is fellowship, walking with him in his beauty and in his glory and in his presence. That's our goal. And the catch this. This is an interesting little turn. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Okay? So what does that mean? That means, 
Okay, we're walking with him in the light, in holiness, in purity, and yet we need the blood of Christ to cleanse us as we're doing that, right? Because we sin. And John makes it very, very clear in the next verse. He says, if we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, that's pretty clear, right? Anybody here want to try to argue that they don't have sin in their life? If you want to argue that, John's going to call you a liar. You have sin in your life. You know it. I know it. The Lord knows it. We just need to get real, right? And recognize that we have sin in our life. Even those of us who've been redeemed through the blood of Christ, we've confessed our sin to him. We've bowed our knee and said, Lord, you are Lord. You are my Lord. And he creates a new creature in us. We are regenerated, right? And yet we continue to have sin in this life and in this world. So what's the solution? How do, what, how do we remain in fellowship with the Lord, walk in the light with him when we have darkness in our life? How do we reconcile this? And this is the key verse right here. This is the central part of this whole message. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, this is the key point. This is what, how we reconcile the fact that, A, God has called us into fellowship with one another and with himself. B, we have darkness and sin in our life that continues and remains in our life. How do we deal with that? We just admit it. I mean, doesn't that just sound too simple? Like, really? I just have to admit? I just have to confess? I just have to admit? My, my definition for confession is confession is admitting the truth to yourself and God. That's it. Admitting the truth to yourself and God. It doesn't mean, okay, we've got to do 10 Hail Marys, and we've got to serve in Sunday school on Sunday morning. We have to clean, do the, clean the church. We have to do all these things, and then maybe God will be happy with us. That's not the Christian life. That is not the Christian life. That is the life of a Pharisee, okay? The Christian life is when we are convicted of sin, when the Lord reveals to us that there is sin in our life, which there is, our job is just to confess that and admit that. That's it. And what happens when we confess that? He, meaning Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from son of some cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness. Is that what it says? No. It says cleanse us from all, all our unrighteousness. I think oftentimes, particularly us as believers, I think this is the real stumbling point for a lot of us. We, are, we get convicted of sin. We know we've blown it. We say, Lord, I'm sorry. You're right. I blew it. I confessed it. But somehow we don't quite believe that he's, he's cleansed that. Somehow we believe that our sin is really too, you know, it's too great or it's too much or it's too often, right? Lord, this is the 1,532nd time that I've had to confess this particular sin to you. And I think I've I've used up all my credits and you're done with me and you're not going to cleanse me from this, right? 
Is that how he operates? Jesus' disciples said, Lord, how many times should we forgive our brother? Should we forgive him seven times? Man, that's a lot. Seven times should I forgive him for this same sin? And Jesus says, I tell you, you should forgive them 70 times seven. Seven's really an important number in scripture. Seven means the completion of God's sculpture. The completion of what God is creating in us and in his church. Seven represents the completion of his church. The ultimate consummation of all that he has promised to us. That's what seven represents. Seven times 70. That brings in the number 10. 10 to me represents what I see in scripture with 10 is a time of testing. There's a church in Revelation that is going to suffer for 10 days. And after this time of testing, the Lord will restore them. 10 is a time of testing. Seven times 70, 490 times. Does that mean, okay, as soon as you sin the 491th time, you've used up all your credit, and now I'm not going to forgive you anymore? No. It means you keep forgiving one another until my work is complete. Complete, right? You keep forgiving. Is God any different than that? God is going to continue to cleanse us and redeem us and wash away our sins and our failures until we are complete in Him. Until we are the spectacular, beautiful sculpture that He intended when He created Adam. Right? So what happens when we become aware of the reality that we have sinned as we're seeking to remain in fellowship with, the, with His church and with Him? And we confess that sin to Him? He cleanses it completely, all of it. We are completely washed clean. Even though you're going to sin again tomorrow or even the next hour, in that moment you are clean and you are restored into fellowship with Him. And I think many of us get stuck there and we're like, oh Lord, I blew it, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm a worm, I'm terrible. And we just stay there. We don't keep moving around the work of Christ that God is doing through us to say, but, but Lord, because of your blood, I am washed clean. Even though I still remember this sin, it's very present for me, I am washed clean. You see me completely and fully cleansed. I love David. I, I love his Psalms because David speaks so much from the heart. He is, he writes from the heart. John speaks very kind of a little bit more intellectually. David just, he's living it, man. I, I, I'm thinking of Psalm 51, and we don't have time to read the whole Psalm. I would love to, but we don't have time. So good thing for you to do this week as your homework is read Psalm 51 and think about David and think about how he's going through this process of confessing to the Lord. But David starts off Psalm 51, and he says, Have mercy on me, O Lord. We just sang about that, right? God is a merciful God. David, keep in mind, when David writes Psalm 51, it's after he has sinned big time. You think you, think you, have, you, think you may have committed the unpardonable sin? Look at the life of David. David was a man after God's own Okay, David was chosen by God to be the king of Israel. But David committed adultery, 
tried to cover it by getting the husband to come back and, and sleep with this woman that he, you know, his wife that he had committed adultery with. When that didn't work, David had the guy killed in battle, set him up to be killed in battle. So David's committed adultery and committed murder, using his army to do it for him, right? That's, that's hardcore, is that not? And David is confronting. David won't even acknowledge it or confess it. He's in denial and rebellion about it. He's, he's just not going there. No, I don't see it, Lord. I just, I'm just covering it. I'm just covering it up, right? Until the prophet comes to him and tells him a story and, and reveals to David, You've, you have committed a grievous sin. And David is cut to the quick. And David repents. David prays to the Lord. There's consequences. There's fallout because of his sin. And he confesses the Lord and the Lord restores him. There are still consequences that he experienced, but he restores him. And in Psalm 51, he's, he says, have mercy on me, O Lord. And I, I love the next couple sentences. He says, according to your stad, steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Not, notice that it's not according to my repentance, not according to my works, not according to me trying to appease you and make it right with you. But have mercy on me according to you, Lord, according to your steadfast love. I love that steadfast love. You know what? God is not blown out by our sin. He's not like, oh my gosh, what happened? You know, that's it. I'm holding back my love from you. You really blew it. His love is steadfast, consistent, always there. Always there to convict always there to heal and restore and cleanse, right? God's love is steadfast. According to his steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, God has an inexhaustible supply of mercy, right? So when we confess to him, understand that we need to receive that cleansing by faith. Paul says, and I use this verse a lot because I love this verse. It says so much about our Christian life, but Paul says in Colossians Colossians 2, 2, verse 6, he says, As you receive Christ, so now walk. What did you do when you received Christ? You confessed your sin to him. You confessed, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need help. I need redemption. I'm headed for hell and judgment and wrath. I just confess that to you. And what does God do? He redeems you. He creates a new creation in you. He brings you with him and the church. Just as you received him, so walk in him. Walk with him. The same process. We continue as we're convicted of our sin to confess it and receive cleansing. Amen? Anybody here thinks their their sin is beyond the, the grace and forgiveness of the Lord? I hope you're hearing that it's not. So we're cleansed. We're brought back into fellowship with him. What do we do with that? Chapter 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Imagine this. Imagine you, you have been convicted of a crime and you're having to go to court. Don and I had a, a neighbor friend who committed a crime, 
He got into a fight, you know, it was a racially motivated fight uh, against him, and he was defending himself. He got beat up really good, and he ultimately wound up pulling out a gun and shooting the guy. Okay, and now he's in court, and he's being charged with, um, I think it was, it wasn't first degree murder, of course, but it was the intent to murder. It was, it was, uh, he didn't actually, the guy lived, he survived, thankfully. thankfully. Um, but this is serious, right? This is big time serious. And Don and I went to the court and sat there to pray for him and support him as he's going through this thing. And it's intense. It's an intimidating deal to, to experience that. And we're not the ones sitting in the defend, at the defendant's table. We're sitting back behind him in the audience. And, and it's scary. Telling you, it's scary. Well, there's a day coming when we will all face the court of heaven, right? And God the Father will be up there on his, on his big podium with his big hammer, you know, with wrath and judgment. And he's going to say, what, how do you plead? And our only choice is to say, guilty. Guilty, Your Honor. Do your worst. I'm guilty. Whether, you know... If, if you're an unbeliever and you've spent your entire life saying God doesn't exist, in that moment, there'll be no denying your guilt. It's guilty, Your Honor. But right at that moment, for, thus, for, for us who have put our faith in Christ, as we're standing there, this imposing God of the universe with a throne that's vibrating with the energy of the Holy Spirit, and all of heaven's angels are arrayed around us, and we are straight up guilty. And God says, how do you plead? We say, guilty? At that very moment, what does the verse say? It says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. Our defense attorney, our lawyer walks in, and he is the Son of the Father, the Son of God, the righteous one. And he stands in front of us and he says, Father, I paid the price of his guilt with my own blood. This one is clean. I have cleansed him. And he has spent his life seeking fellowship with me and confessing his sins as he goes. And I've been faithful to cleanse him all the way and to deliver him here perfect and holy before you. My sculpture, my perfection. Paul says we are what? His craftsmanship. We are being perfected by Him and His work and His power. Amen? Our goal is fellowship. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. What are the results of His cleansing? How do you... How do you know that a person has really believed that Christ has cleansed them? You see it in their works. You see it in how they walk. They walk the way Jesus walks. He goes on, he says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Notice John is going around that sculpture. Does that verse sound familiar? Whoever says I know him, whoever says I walk in the light but is in darkness is a liar. Whoever says I have no sin is a liar. Whoever says um, I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And how did he walk? He walked in love. He walked in loving his neighbor. Jesus said, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we know that we are walking in this Christian life? Because we begin to see that we love our neighbor. Right? So this is the result. This is the effect. We don't love our neighbor to win God's cleansing and approval. We have God's cleansing and approval the moment we just admit we have it. And because we have it, we can enter into fellowship with him and fellowship with one another and enjoy one another and and have the fullness of the joy of the Lord in our life. And what comes out of that? What's the result of that? We love each other. We're patient with each other. When When we offend each other, we go to our brother or our sister and we say, hey, I'm sorry I offended you. I've confessed that to the Lord. I want to confess to you. I I blew it right there. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Reconcile. I want to, as far as my part, I want to reconcile with you, just as Christ has reconciled with me. That's how we know. That's not the means to it. That's just the result, the fruit of it. Amen. When Donna and I were living in uh, Berea, uh, they had one cool thing about the city of Berea is they're really into supporting and displaying the arts and particularly sculpture. Uh, so if you, if you haven't noticed, if you go around Brea, there's little sculptures here and there on street corners, different places, which is awesome. And they had this one artist there who was doing a three-year residency in Brea. And it's a good thing it was three years because this guy was a marble sculptor and they had this giant marble stone set out in front of the library where, where this thing was installed. They actually installed the marble where where it was going to be, and then he sculpted it. So he's sculpting on this marble, and this guy, I mean, he's sculpting this figure, this beautiful figure, lots of drapery. He's kind of a neoclassical sculptor, just a beautiful thing. And he's, he's got this grinder, this hand grinder, and he would be, and he's like a chain smoker. He'd be standing there, and he had this grinder, and he'd, he'd be kind of moving around the sculpture and looking at it. And he would, he would kind of come into an area and take his little grinder and go, and then he'd step back and put the grinder down, kind of look at it some more, break out another cigarette and pick up his coffee, talk to whoever walked by, all right, you know, he talks, hang out, just chat with him for a while. And then he'd kind of start looking at it again. And it was just like, I would go over and see what this thing was looking like like every couple of weeks or so, and the progress was like really slow, really incremental, you know? And it's like, dude, I, I don't know if three years is going to be long enough for you the way this is going. But sure enough, at three years, I mean, this thing is beautiful. It's an amazing sculptural thing, this classical uh, uh, marble sculpture, lovely. And I think sometimes we can kind of feel like, Lord, Darn, man, here I am again, confessing the same sin to you again. But Scripture promises that Jesus will deliver us holy and perfect before the Father. And even if you're not seeing the progress the way you want to see it right now, your hope is not in your progress. Your hope is in Christ and his work 
We are his craftsmanship. He is sculpting us. He's moving around us. He's using our conflicts. He's using our trials to break off and chip away at the pieces of us that don't belong. And that's a process. So I want to encourage you, celebrate the progress you already have and know that Jesus has promised to live you perfect and holy. So what does this process look like? I just want you to, I want this to be your takeaway. I, I want you to be, I want to be really clear and kind of sum up what is this process of repentance? What is the focus of the Christian life? Um, so th- this is the Christian life, the joyful and fruitful way, okay? Um, the Christian life, the joyful and fruitful way is, first of all, to remain in the light and joy of fellowship with God and one another, right? Number one, the goal is fellowship. It's always about fellowship, fellowship with the Lord and with his church. That's our goal. Now, I, w- I want to do something just to help illustrate. Um, imagine this podium right here. This is where we want to live. This is where we st- We are in fellowship with the Lord and with the church. This is our goal. This is where we want to be. But as we're doing this, as we're engaged in this fellowship, we fail, right? We have sin. The Holy Spirit suddenly reveals sin. And we notice, ah, from over here, ah, there's sin. I have sin in my life. I'll do this, Anna. I don't want to, I'm going to get a little kind of closer to you. But um, so... We come over here and we go, man, I sin. And and sometimes I think there's a tendency that we want to just kind of like, oh, shoot, I have sin in life. I'm just going to kind of duck behind the podium and hopefully no one will notice, right? Or I'm going to take the sin that I suddenly realize and I'm going to hide it under here and maybe nobody will notice. But what have we just learned? What, what, What do we do? We just confess it. We just own up to it. We just say, Lord, I'm in sin right here. I, I, in fact, I'm in sin again. I just confess to you I'm in sin. And what does the Lord do? The Lord moves us. He moves us over here to a place of cleansing where we receive his cleansing through his power and through his Holy Spirit, through the blood of the Lamb. He paid the price. If you think your sin is behind his reach, that is the height of arrogance. Because what you're saying is that his sacrifice is not worthy of of covering your sin, right? So we need to receive his cleansing and forgiveness. Otherwise, to not receive that cleansing and forgiveness is a slap in the face of Christ because he went to the cross to cleanse us of that sin right there. To not receive it is rejecting his, his grace, his mercy. So we come to this place of cleansing and we receive it. And when we receive, when we truly believe in his cleansing and forgiveness, we have joy, right? And, we, and in our joy, we're empowered to walk with Jesus as Jesus walked, right? We're cleansed, we have rejoicing, we're thankful, we can walk as Jesus walked and share that love and that grace and that joy with the brethren and walk as Jesus walked, loving our neighbor. And as we walk, as Jesus walked, loving our neighbor, we experience the joy and fellowship and communion of the church and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we live in fellowship. 
That's the Christian life, okay? That's the Christian life, the joyful and fruitful way. By contrast, the, the, the Christian life, the, the hard way, the, the, the sad and fruitless way, is to just remain in the dark, right? Hide your sin. Receive more and more guilt and depression. I think there's a lot of depressed Christians who are filled with guilt because they don't get past this step right here. They don't receive the forgiveness Christ has offered them, right? And you just stay stuck right there. And when you stay stuck right there, or even worse, you stay stuck right here, you don't have the joy of the fellowship of redemption, of walking in Christ and walking in love with the brethren. And you live a very sad, depressed life. It's a horrible way to live the Christian life. And it's contrary to God's purpose in your life. So that's what this looks like. That's what repentance looks like. That's what the Christian life looks like. This is how we're going to spend the rest of our life, brothers and sisters. We're going to spend the rest of our life by seeking and embracing the fellowship of God and his church, recognizing when we have sin, confessing it, receiving his grace and his forgiveness and his cleansing, and moving into loving one another, walking as Christ loved. Amen. So typically we share points of application and you all write them down and maybe you do some of them, maybe you don't, I don't know. But this morning what we're going to do is we're actually going to do the application. And don't panic. I know you're all like, oh man, that artsy, that artsy guy is going to make us do something weird. It won't be that. Uh, you'll be able to just stay in your seat. You don't have to get up. But I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer and uh, give you each an opportunity to apply what we just talked about, which is to confess, to recognize any sin that might be in your life right now, to confess it to the Lord just privately between you and the Lord. You don't have to say anything out loud. And to receive his forgiveness and, and, and blessing. And then we're going to, um, and then we're going to worship. So let's pray. Lord, David said, um, show me my heart, Lord. Show me if there's any wicked way that resides in me. Lord, as, as we take a moment of silent prayer with you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal anything to us that you want us to acknowledge, anything that we need to admit. Lord, the first step is just to admit it. So Lord, in this moment, in this silence, Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict us of what it is that you would have us admit to you. Lord, whatever that thing is, whatever has gone through my mind, Lord, my, my selfish pride, my desire to be liked rather than to love, Whatever you have revealed to us, Lord, we just confess that to you now in this moment of silence. And Lord, having admitted that thing, having confessed that before you, Lord, by faith we receive your cleansing. We receive your forgiveness. We take in and breathe in the restoration that you have made and is real to us, Lord. 
So Lord, let us take a moment and just thank you and celebrate with you, Father. In this moment of silence, God, help us to celebrate your cleansing and your forgiveness. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.